the Michigan Hockey Cast 5.20. Only three words need to be said, just like football. Today is the day that everyone has been waiting for, for like a month. Do you know what day it is? NFL free agency? NFL free agency! Isn't that why people are tuning in for this? Allegedly. (laughs) Allegedly. You, when you walked in, were talking to me about the Lions making a play for a corner. And then you started looking him up. I know there are Lions fans on this podcast. Have you a take? Uh, I did a five-minute scan. Of Cam, uh, Cam Sutton. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty happy. He was with the Steelers. He was with the Steelers. Do you remember seeing him with the Steelers previously? I don't watch much Steelers. They're not in the NFC. <laughs> okay. Uh, and But your your data dig led you to believe that? Uh, everyone seems to think he's pretty good. He has a 70.1 coverage grade from PFF, That's which exactly. is pretty solid. Okay. Um, Receiving yards against, I think, was one of the lowest numbers in the league last year. Seems like he has versatility to play slot or outside, can rotate around 27 or 28 years old, so he's not too old. So he's later in his career. Later in his, he's got enough experience that he's been around, but he's not, you know, 32. What kind of deal did they give him? Three years, $33 million, so it didn't break the oh. bank. Very, very solid. That's a good signing. Yeah. It's, I mean, if he's if Well, he's they, any, they he's really said that they didn't want to blow up the cap. If they have a ton yeah. of money and they, but they don't want to spend it all because they know that they have a lot of players that are young on rookie contracts, and you know they don't want to just go go wild. No, the long term thinking. Yeah, yeah, I think that makes sense. A lot of times you see teams like spend every dime they have yep. whenever they have it, and then they're like, "Oh, now we're like now we spend all our money <laughs> for the next five years, and then in five years we'll get to spend it again because we can't." look down the road at all yeah Sutton was between like third and fifth best corner on the market according to different free agent rankings so that's pretty solid I mean I think it's probably a better play than the Jalen Ramsey idea just because of that um that cap you know uh component to it how many years that Ramsey you- is a very very good player but you see the return that yeah. they got that means what Ramsey's asking for on the next contract is crazy yeah so he would just be for one year. Like, his contract runs out after this year? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's like, would you like to trade for Ramsey and re-sign and, and give him an extension and then potentially down the road not be able to keep Jamison Williams? Or right. Insert player here. Right. Instead of... I mean, you could also trade for him and then not re-sign him. Right. But why would you give up draft capital? Kind of? Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. So, Unless you're planning to try to win next year as the Dolphins are, which... Uh, Kind of befuddles me a little Every bit. Every time my quarterback has brain damage, that's when it's time to go all in. <laughs> well, as a team, as a, someone who watches teams in the AFC East, uh, <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, go for it. I'm, I'm in. I don't think the Dolphins are that great. I am interested, intrigued by their coach, but um, their prospects of winning playoff games plural next year seems low, unless Tua changes brains with, say, you. <laughs> Would that? I suppose you'd probably turn that down, though. I don't think you want to his brain right now. Probably not. Okay. And then the other news is the Raiders got Garoppolo, which is kind of interesting. Uh, Yeah. I mean, you know, Carr 
is gone, so they needed someone new to go in there. I mean, Carr was pretty bad last year, but he's been better in the past. So, I don't know. Garoppolo could be decent. I mean, he's probably not bad, but I think the thing to be weary about with him is just the, the, the Shanahan factor, that San Francisco can just plug quarterbacks in and their offense just keeps chugging. Yeah, that's true. Right? Like, that's... Probably systemic more than anything. Like, I mean, maybe Brock Purdy is good, but, like, I, you know, don't think that Purdy would have done what he did last year if you plugged him in on almost any other offense. Yeah, that's probably But true. Shanahan is such a QB-friendly offense with so many good players and knows what it's doing. He, they can just, boom, put someone in, and it just keeps moving. Right. Actually, this says that he has not signed. It's just sources say he will. So well, maybe it's not official yet, but anyway. Uh, and then the other quick news is... Your World Baseball Classic, that you are the only person I've ever talked to who isn't involved in Major League Baseball to some extent who has ever watched a game. So have you watched it in previous years? Uh, I watched it in 13. Yeah, I watched some. And I think I watched a game or two in 17. But uh, it's just... It's been six years. Yeah, well, they were supposed to do it, I think, in in 2020. Ah, okay. But... It's actually really interesting. If you're a baseball fan, I'd check it out. If you're not, then obviously don't. But, um, <laughs> so Brian should not watch it? No. <laughs> but the Team USA thing is kind of pathetic. Like, they didn't bring any good pitchers, and, like, the team through two games looks pretty lifeless. But all the other countries are, like, really pumped. And so the yeah. games have actually been really fun because, like, it's intensity you will not see in the MLB season until October. Yeah. Like, without a doubt. Or September, like, yeah. The Venezuela... Uh, uh, who Puerto were they? Rico? Uh, Dominican Republic game. Dominican. Saturday night that was going on during the Michigan game. Like, there were clips of that and, like, the pitchers, like, going crazy after every strikeout. And, like, <laughs> and the thing is that in those games they played in Miami with the, some of the, you know, Caribbean teams, like, there's a lot of fans there. Like, there are more fans at those games than will be at any Marlins game this year. Well, yeah. Like, that stadium is packed. People are cheering. Like, again, it's not like a, a classic baseball crowd where people are just sort of laying out in the sun asleep <laughs> right like they're they're clapping and is they're that what cheering you do at tiger stadium you get one of those big umbrella drinks that's like light blue and then you pass out in the bleachers i just picture you are you wearing a tank top while you're doing this and the the mexico u.s game like a lot of mexico fans out in arizona and the ones in in japan like the tokyo dome is packed like it's, oh, yeah. it's i expect that to be that way it's just it's sure. cool to see these teams be really into it and the fans be really into it yeah and it's a lot of fun yeah, I I would agree, and and like you said, if the U.S. had brought maybe a pitcher onto their staff, it would be slightly more interesting to yeah, watch. Yeah, because I think the Mookie U- Betts was playing second base, isn't he? Yeah, that's kind of interesting. But the U.S. like the U.S. is kind of like, eh, you know, whatever. This is you know, and D- Dominican Republic events where like this is our moment. Yeah, like, this yeah. is our chance to win well, something. Cuba, Cuba was like that. Japan was like that. Well, Cuba I mean, isn't this year because a lot of their players didn't want to play for them, but. <laughs> The other countries, yeah. But, I mean, in the past, they have yeah, been. Yeah, yeah, they There's have better been. teams in the past. I was shocked to see teams like Great Britain and Israel. I was like, I didn't know baseball you, was that, played in I, those I will say, countries. do not tune in to any of the bad World Baseball Classic. <laughs> Is it really bad? The, the good games between the real teams and, you know, imagine the knockout stage games, those will be really good. Yeah. But, like, that Canada-UK game yesterday. That was I like saw a like, slow-pitch I saw, like, five minutes. It was an NCAA baseball game. It was literally... <laughs> You know, Michigan versus, you know, Central at Ray Fisher mm. starts at 4 p.m. And it's going at 8.45 in the evening. In the snow. <laughs> because it's 19 to 12 with 25 walks. That, oh, There were that many walks? 
Yeah, it there was. I have to look up how many walks there were. It was atrocious. Can I get a pass ball? Count? They had they played like two innings in ninety minutes because there were so many walks, <laughs> oh and it didn't it didn't finish. They mercy ruled it. It was eighteen to eight after six or seven, and then that was the World Baseball Classic. Everybody's it like was ten runs. Nobody wants to see any more. Well, this. they needed to get it over with because U.S. Mexico was next, and they uh. needed to, <laughs> they needed to get the fans out to get the new fans in. <laughs> It's like the split doubleheader game. Well, right. They have to get everyone have to, out. Yeah. They have to clean, and yeah. then they have to get everyone back in. Why is there still popcorn on this seat? Well, <laughs> yeah. All right. That is your news update, sports news update for the week. So now we will move on to probably what you actually tuned in for, which is some Michigan and college hockey. Only one game on the weekend for Michigan as we reach the single-game knockout stage of the Big Ten tournament, Michigan drew Ohio State. I think the biggest talking point coming into this game, you know, aside from like certain things on the ice, is that, you know, this was what, once it became clear that Minnesota was going to win the conference, which that's kind of been clear since sometime in the fall, finishing second was a big deal because you got to face Wisconsin last weekend, which Michigan did. And while they didn't play the greatest hockey we've ever seen, they won both games and I'm not going to say they weren't tested because they were, but they were never in danger of losing the series. And then you would get to host this particular game, which is a bigger deal when you face Ohio State, Notre Dame, Penn State, insert team here. And Michigan got to do that. So, because I just remember sitting there before the game started watching it, and it was just like, you know, this is, you know, the, the fan, the students were outside really early. Everybody was coming in. There was just a really good vibe in the arena of this is going to be a big game. And it's Michigan-Ohio State, which, you know, we've seen a little bit in hockey, very little bit here, there in baseball, softball, sometimes basketball, you know, from from the football rivalry. And this one is probably felt the biggest to me. I'm sure 2018 was like that as well. Oh, I thought 2018 was bigger than this one. The in Columbus, well, just for the Michigan narrative of the season, everybody gone all in four against them, and yeah, I didn't think that team was as good though. Like sure. the, the the 2018 team, Michigan team was sort of a nice story of a, a second half regeneration that ended up winning a couple games in the tournament, but I don't think there there weren't really like national championship aspirations. Like they were just a, a fun team. No, that we you were hope happy to hot. be back relevant. Right, but it would you gone zero and four against them. Well, and probably for good reason though. I mean, maybe, but like they were both pretty solid teams. Okay. I mean, you, you you cannot go zero and five against a team, right? Like that's but that, that's embarrassing. I mean, they and went, you didn't want to do that, and so that's why going in it was like we got to win this game. They almost had to go zero and six because they well, almost that was played the thing. The in, title. Yeah, that was the thing in St. Paul was like we cannot play Ohio State <laughs> in the title game. Like we yeah. cannot, you cannot go zero and six against your You're rival right. and lose the last one of the national championship. That, yeah. No, that's fold the program territory. Uh, well, all right. Um, so you have to have some pride. But this was a big deal that that this game was here and not in Columbus because after the series in Columbus and Cleveland, and Michigan gets one point out of it, you're like, well, you know, Minnesota might throw us a bone next weekend, but there's a very real chance we're staring down the three seed. And if this game was in Columbus, I would have had much different feelings heading into it. And I wasn't overly positive to begin with. I thought Michigan definitely had a chance but, and, and could play well. But going into Columbus, I would have felt completely differently. Yeah, you, you were happy to have the home crowd behind you. And the other narrative is 
what Ohio State had done to Michigan on the ice, where they had been a very good defensive team, and that started in Michigan's end, forechecking them, turning the puck over, getting a lot of shots and chances. Like I said on, on the podcast yesterday, not necessarily always grade A looks, but just plenty of them. You play into Portillo's rebound factor, and that was like, can Michigan adjust to that? Because they hadn't quite completely solved it. You saw it at times in the past, but they couldn't overcome it. And it's like when a team presses you in basketball, if you break the press, you should get layups and dunks. And that doesn't mean goals in hockey, but it does mean good chances at the other end. Sure. And this game started off almost perfectly for Michigan because they win the faceoff. Pearson gets kind of stuffed in his own end. The puck is around behind the net, and Luke Hughes picks it up, skates out the left side, and then makes a guy miss and gets out of the past the blue line, out past the red line, and all of a sudden he has a three-on-two. And that's, like, in a nutshell, what needed to happen. Not just him beating a guy one-on-one, but being able to get a controlled exit and an entrance the other way. He passes to Fantilli, Fantilli over to Brindley. Brindley swerves back, tucks in beside inside down the slot and picks a corner on the first shot 23 seconds into the game and Michigan's up 1-0 and you're like well that's nice (laughs) like that was exactly not just that they scored and got out to an early lead but how they did it well Ohio State has their offensive zone four check set up they have the three forwards going deep towards the towards the end line puck goes around on the rim to the far side you get a hard deep pinch pretty much what we've seen from them the whole time yep and Rucker uh, fills on the wall, and it just pops free into the slot. And that's where Luke picks it up, and he has to make one move and then skates it out. And that's pretty much textbook. I mean, the first nine, uh, ten minutes of this game, Michigan was just pretty much perfect against the press. Yeah. They were really crisp on all their passes. There were a number of plays, if you watch the tape, that were very, very close to being picked off and turned into chances, and none of them were. I mean, they threaded the needle consistently. Um, and they did on this play, and when you break the press, then you get some some numbers the other way. And I mean, this goal is really just a Brindley shot. I mean, I it was not a great day for Dobish. We'll get into that later. I don't think this was one of the worst he gave up. If if an NHL shooter goes bar down on you, it kind of is what it is. Um, but it was definitely a, a big uh, moment of sort of here we go in this game. Although I think the turning point comes a few minutes later. Well, and you mentioned like a lot of those first few minutes where Michigan almost turned it over but didn't. But that's how that works. Like, it's not like they were sloppy. It's not like, you know, they were close to turning it over in terms of like, oh, they need to be better. But when you press and pinch like that, it's like bringing a blitz in football. When you yep. almost get to the quarterback, you're like, oh, we almost got there. But you didn't, and therefore – the ball got away and the guy's open. I mean, yeah, I mean, these are it's it's this is the same thing with when you break the press in basketball and you get the easy layup at the right. other end. I mean, it's all the same the same principle to it. You you're exposed if it if it gets beaten, right? And you know, I think when you watch these first ten ten minutes of this game, you, you really think about it. Michigan should be able to break this press. It should not have given them as much problems as it did this year, right? Because they have puck moving defensemen, they have defensemen who can who can skate in tight areas and, and wiggle their way through. They just needed to be crisper. They just needed to be sort of more on point um, yes. with their play all around. And that is what we've seen with them is that they can be inconsistent with that. It's not that they're incapable of doing it. It's not that we haven't seen them do it. It's that 
it doesn't happen as often as not only we'd like, but in some ways as it probably should. And Saturday is that they needed it, and they did. So the other story these first few minutes is Michigan really gives Ohio State a taste in their own medicine. Because Michigan State's or Michigan State, Michigan is ramping up their <laughs> offensive zone forecheck in the Ohio State end, and so they get a Brindley chance all alone in front of the net, where they turn Ohio State over, basically doing Ohio State's offensive zone forecheck structure just on them. And then you have the disallowed goal, which comes off of a an Ottoman rush allowed in the exact same way. Yeah. Aggressive offensive zone forecheck, they beat the press, and now it's you know, again it's just turntables this time going the other way. So that's an interesting storyline, too. As Michigan said, we, you know, we we have, we think we figured out how to beat your uh, forecheck in our end, and we're going to do the exact same thing to yeah. you. Yes, and and that's what, like you said, that's sort of what followed up to, this, to that early goal, is Michigan had two chances right away, getting a couple turnovers, a stop at a great look in the slot. Fantilli was taken down, looked like that could have been a penalty. It wasn't, but he dished across to Brindley, who was sitting in basically the top of the crease by himself and he tried a fancy little move couldn't slip at five hole otherwise it's 2-0 right away and i mean yost is just you know the roof comes off um and then we ref- referenced the next thing that that you mentioned was you know the overturn goal so ohio state comes in on a three on two rush portillo makes the initial save um doesn't get the rebound i can't now, i'm not is, sure if this he is should, this is real bad from portillo in my opinion by kicking it out well i i the shot comes in and it's right in his belly. I mean, yeah. It's a terrible shot. The guy didn't get anything on it. it goes right into him and it, it just pops right back out. And he needed and, to just... and again, he's caught towards the top of his crease. So there's a little lane behind him yeah. where they they thread the puck through into the crease and he can't find it. And then it gets poked in. I mean, I messaged you and I was just like, "This is Michigan this year." Yeah. Like, I mean, they, this this dude just can't <laughs> just can't string together games where there isn't like one incident like this and. You know, thankfully it was taken off the board, but Dude, you, you uh, just can't be giving up big rebounds on feeble shots like that. So Michigan challenges it. Yep. And did you, for offside, did you see, like, did you have an opinion originally or? No, I didn't catch it at the time, but also it was, so when they show the replay on the TV, the dude is, is like below the camera. Okay. So you can see his head yeah. and up to about halfway in his torso. But you can't see his skates. You can't see his skates. But where he is, you're like, wow, well, it looks offside. Yeah. But I, I can't see the skates. He so. might have a leg. So hopefully they up. got better angles than we do. So when it was overturned, like I sit, you know, 10 or 15 feet away from where all the scratches are. Like, I think it was three guys. I think it was Miles, LaPointe, and I can't remember the third guy. I don't think it was Trescott. Go and I don't think it was Draper, so whoever the other Draskinis maybe go running down, like sprinting down through the press box down to where the uh, video coaches are, and they all fist bump them like you're going through the line, like after you score a goal, where you know you yeah. have your fist up and everybody just taps gloves. Like they all go through fist bump them, and they all come running back. So uh, the goings on with the scratch players in the press box area for the last two weekends has been quite entertaining, but. Um, I didn't blame them. I thought it was a cool thing to do. That's, you know, those guys are part of the team as well, and, and they did their job. So 1-0, and, right, and that was a big turning point because right after that, Casey walks in uh, down, down the right wing, crosses the blue line, and just fires a really harmless sl- shot, and it, I think, squeaks five-hole through Dobish and just leaks into the net. I couldn't tell if it went under his arm, um, but I was talking 
somebody else, and they were saying, I, no, I think that kind of went between his legs and just kind of trickled across the line. I couldn't really tell, but it doesn't matter. It goal just can't go in. Yeah. Not much else needs to be said than that, and that, and that's a, a, just a major, major gift. So it's 2 nothing, and it's so early that you're kind of like, now you're a little nervous because you're like, oh, now they're up 2 nothing. Like, they got to win this game. Like, this is not a, well, you know, we played hard and we just, you know, they were better than us tonight. No, you are up 2 nothing. This has been your bugaboo all year. Can you slam the door on this? And the answer, too many times, has been no. But this is one of those games that's going to be very like next week and in the future that you can't blow those leads anymore. Like, you had your chances. You, you, you didn't do it. This is one that can't happen. You want it. You want to be a serious team, a team that makes a run and wins these games. When you get these chances, you, you got to lock the door. And what you need to do was with a 2 nothing lead is turn it into a 3 nothing lead, which is what Michigan did on, I would say, maybe the best pass of Keaton Pearson's career or right there, right up there. He, this is not, he's not Luke Hughes. He is not Casey or Edwards, guys that make really great passes all the time. Who was the stretch pass guy that we kept talking? Was it Summers last year or last year or two? Yeah, you Summers, were like, Summers, was, had, Summers was pretty good at that. Kind of had a good stretch pass. Um so one thing before the the goal, okay. Michigan's uh, defense is really just cooking Ohio State in the offensive zone. That Ohio State's got that high forecheck pressure, and in their in their defensive zone, right? And I a little shortly after the first goal was scored, there was one play where Hughes was up at the blue line and he's dancing around, and there there's hard pressure on him. And I was just thinking about that Wisconsin goal last week. <laughs> yeah. And I was thinking in the back of my head, I was thinking, you know, if I'm the coach, I might tell the guys to kind of back off on that and, and maybe just shoot from the point. Cause I just don't want to give up those kinds of chances when they're at that this hard point, pressure. Once you're up that much or just going into the game. It just now that we got a lead, you know, it's only one goal, but just like, <sighs> just be more fundamental. Yeah. I, I was looking at that. And I was just like, Ugh. but the truth is in, in not saying that, <laughs> It it led to a lot of offensive chances because again Michigan, I mean they were they were like a, a guy who's just really good at walking a tightrope, right? Yeah. Like they got it they because of the way Ohio State plays and Michigan was willing to play along with them, it puts you in a lot of situations where one wrong pass and it's in the back of your net. Yep. But they made all their passes, so it doesn't matter. And and because yeah. they made all their passes, it led to them just crushing Ohio State at the other end. Because they get all this pressure up high. Michigan never turns it over. They never get caught. And what do they do? Boom, boom, boom. Get right past those four checkers. And all of a sudden, you've got numbers down low. And that just keeps happening. Edwards is slicing through at the top. Hughes is slicing through at the top. And so right before the Pearson goal or Pearson pass for the goal, Edwards is down low near the goal line. And he has Duke on the backside pass across and Duke whips, but it's an oh, empty yeah. net. I mean, it's, yeah. there's like a three, four minute period where they're, where they're just crushing them and just cycling over and over and over again. And that shift that they get the goal is a similar story. I mean, right before the Pearson uh, pass for the goal, he hits Fantilli in the slot and they get a chance. And, and Rucker and them are all just cycling way down low. They get the new forwards out. And then uh, and then he has the pass for the tap-in. But Ohio State's just way on their heels. And they're chasing in, in the defensive zone and Michigan just got total control. Nothing Ohio State is is doing that has worked a lot of this year is working at all in this game. And I think that it's not a bad idea of from Ohio State to try to play this way because if you have the roster and the players and and the system to pull it off, I think it makes sense because how many teams that you're going to run up against are going to be able to beat you like that? 
with relative consistency. I mean, in college hockey, how many are there? Probably not many, because how many people have those kinds of players? The problem for Ohio State is two of them are in their conference, right? Like, you're playing against Minnesota, you're playing against Michigan. Now it's yeah, worked they against... And they haven't played well against Minnesota at all. And I think that is part of the reason, too, is because you can't be aggressive like that when you're Ohio State because you can just get burned on the back end. And I think, what, they split in Columbus earlier in the year and then they got swept in Minneapolis. And I think that Michigan, you know, if they, you know, I we know that Hughes is leaving, but if they'd return all their defensemen next year, I mean, you'd starting to get to the point of where, okay, you have to play well in that game, but you wouldn't hate this matchup as much. No, I mean, you just needed a, a crisp performance uh, from from your defensemen, and that's really the story of this period, is that uh, Michigan's defensemen are really pushing offensive play forward by getting you out of your own zone with possession and then and then cooking them at the, in, in the zone at the top. I mean, it was a very Colorado Avalanche-type performance in that way, and we're going to use our our defensemen who can handle the puck to, to really push it for us, and Ohio State didn't have a lot of answers. And then really once the third goal goes in, now all of a sudden it's 3 nothing, and that's when the game changed because after that, Ohio State's offensive zone forecheck is gone. Yeah. They pull way back, which I find interesting because that's not what you should do. You don't think so? No. Well, because <laughs> you run an aggressive offensive zone forecheck when you are trying to score, right? That's yeah. Gener- it's, let's say you're a team that doesn't do that as your base. You put that out when you're down one goal with three minutes to go, right? That's when you send three forecheckers deep and you have the deep pinch hard. And so now all of a sudden they're like, well, we're way down in the game, so now we're going to stop trying to score, <laughs> right? That's basically what you're saying. There. Yeah. Because now all of a sudden Michigan's getting out of their zone with no problem because yeah. there's one four-checker deep. The D aren't pinching at all. I mean, it was after they were down two goals that there's a clip where you can see three four-checkers still deep, but the D are in the neutral zone. They're yeah. not even trying at the point. And so now all of a sudden Ohio State's entire identity is just ripped right out of them. And that's really when it changes. And now all of a sudden Michigan is not going to have those problems because they're not getting that pressure against them. They probably won't get the flowing opportunities either because right. you don't get those layups when a team doesn't. But if, but now but, all of a sudden you're protecting a lead against a team that's that's sitting back. Yeah. that's As opposed to one that's trying to. to not really a bad spot to be no. in. <laughs> um uh, just quick note on the I didn't have a great angle on that Duke chance. I took a note on it and had it had it here. But um, did he did he whiff on it or was he like tied up? I like, couldn't. Should quite, he have scored it? Or I was couldn't it? quite tell. But that was a really close to a goal, right? Yeah, I, mean, I was. I thought like, man, that was that could have should have gone in. But I I didn't have the the best angle on that one. So also give credit on the third goal to Mackey. Actually, he scored it. Uh, Pearson's pass was. A lot of it, but Mackey got his stick in the right spot and finished it uh, with the right angle to get behind Dobish. So it's 3 nothing. Um, Rutger gets another chance in that. And then um, I, we didn't, I mean, other than that 3-on-2, we didn't really have a ton of Portillo action. I mean, he had to save some chances. I didn't think a lot of them were super difficult. Um, had a nice quick kick save right off the faceoff um, right near the end of the period, but um, it was it was nice to see Michigan, like you said, take Ohio State's game, beat them at it, and then stuff them in a locker and say, hey, Portillo, you don't have to bail us out of this one. Yeah. So going into the second period, I mean, so how did you feel then? Like, I, I felt at 3-0, I, 
going into the second period, like... Well, so the one thing we have to talk about that uh, we missed is Ohio State burns their challenge. Oh, yeah. Right after the third goal. And, oh, this is interesting. And yeah. this is a point of discussion here. Uh-huh. Because I did not... I didn't like that at all. So, I think the conventional wisdom thought, and we'll get into why that doesn't make sense analytically in a second, but the conventional wisdom here is, you know, under 11 minutes into the game, it's 3 to nothing. If this is a regular season game, there's a chance they probably pull Dobish, right? Like, this is a really bad start. The I, team isn't even awake. It. Really? Have they played their backup at all? I don't know, but like that's in when you look in the context of a lot of hockey he's teams. Played, he's played. I mean, he's not. Minutes. He's not Andre Vasilevsky. So well, sure, but I mean, in the NHL maybe you pull him, but probably not. But like you can't in college hockey. You don't. I mean, you've got to. You wait till it's four or five. Seven or eight. I mean, <laughs> they played their backups thirty-seven. As as minutes. They played them thirty-seven minutes combined, and both have a seven fifty. Okay. You can't play that guy All under right. any circumstances okay. in this kind of. But game. I think so. Then, if you're not going to pull him in that situation, you have to call. It, you don't have to. You're choosing to call a timeout because. So I think under NHL rules that makes sense. But yes. my argument is that under college hockey rules, you should never call your timeout. Now, right, and that's now we're transitioning out of why they did it and into why they shouldn't have. Because I was, I was standing and clapping at my TV for Steve Rollick. Did you get a video of that? <laughs> I mean, like, was that like a seal? A salute just to, like, for his servant. Because <laughs> I'm like, look, unless we, you know, unless this is like Scott Stevens on Paul Korea, like we're good. Yeah, we can hit the head as much as we want, and we're not getting caught now. Cause you they let us off the hook. Because they can't <laughs> review it. And that's the thing that you transition to as a coach is now your time out. Because they could challenge, but then they're at the risk of a power play against, and they're down three goals, so they're probably not doing and that. And we, we talked about this <laughs> after the game, and you think that you can't take that chance anymore. The thing we've talked about this year and why the major penalty rule is so bad is that major penalties are huge deals. Yes. They're five-minute power plays. They're yes. massive. And when you have a get-out-of-jail-free card to allow you to potentially get that at any point in the game for no risk at all, you can't throw that away under any circumstance to me. Yeah. You know, and that's the part that kind of sucks about there not being quite as many available analytics in college hockey is, like, I wonder what, if you could go back and look at, like, the winning percentage jump for teams when they get one of those majors because in in the nhl it doesn't happen like ever right like so it's not going to be overly relevant because there's just not going to be that many instances yeah i mean in in college hockey there are plenty of them that i wish you could see you know that like graph that you can click on in like espn gamecast for football or baseball or or basketball whatever and they do like the team's percent chance of winning i wonder what that would be in college hockey games as soon as a major happens. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. d- what what is the jump there when you get that, oh, now the start of a five-minute power play, you know, and, and maybe it trickles back down if you don't score. Yeah, but- I, I think the logic we talked about does not apply if the reward for challenging head contact is a minor. I think in that situation, you can take your time out. It's not that valuable. But a five-minute major and potential disqualification if you can nail a good player. Yeah. But also that <laughs> it's you, so valuable you that wanna, you cannot throw that away. Do you want to roll the dice after you call your timeout for taking a delay of game penalty then? You know, because if you're wrong, that's what it is, right? You know, I think that you can challenge a major at risk of a power play against 
if it's pretty flagrant and you're in a certain situation. Unless you're but I felt I felt down three goals. Ohio State just wasn't going to do that. Yeah. They would need to get back into it first. Yeah. So I was very happy. Because the, what they challenged was pointless. Oh, goalie interference. They didn't touch the goalie. Yeah. It was the quickest review of... Right. The referee should have just been like, no. <laughs> We're not looking at Challenge that. Challenge gone. Yeah, you're not, I'm not, <laughs> you're insulting my intelligence asking me to look at that. <laughs> I never thought you'd come to the defense of college hockey referees, Alex, <laughs> but here we are, I guess. So into the second period, and um, this is where, you know, Ohio State gets back into it a little bit. Um, you know, Kate... We hadn't really seen a lot of defensive own turnovers from Michigan. Casey had a pretty bad one to start the second period, but uh, and this is where Michigan seemed a little fortunate because plays like this happen. Stephen Halliday ha- would have had the puck on his stick in the you know, high slot area, sort of alone, but he had dropped his stick, and the puck kind of comes near him, and he can't corral it after the bad turnover from Casey, and you know it just ends up becoming nothing. Uh, Michigan gets their first power play soon after that. And I didn't think that, you know, there was, I I said in my breakdown that Michigan's power play was not very good. Um, One commenter mentioned that the third power play was was better, and I think that's true. I I didn't take that into consideration. I thought the puck movement here was decent. Uh, There there was one look that Fantilli, I'd have to go back and replay that play, but it looked like he missed an empty net. Yes, so that was what I wrote about, is that Michigan broke out a really nice play, sort of the high to below the goal line, back up into the slot for yeah. an open look, but instead of shooting, I think he dishes off to the side. So you have a one, two, three, four instead of a one, two, three. And Fantilli has a wide open net that he misses. And that I remember thinking like, well, that's the game. Like he hits that and it's done. And you know, he missed it. And it was still, it wasn't like Michigan was probably going to lose this game. But I mean, if you, if you hit that one, like forget it. Like you're just, you're start in the first half of the second period. You're up four zero, and just the, you know, Ohio State's reeling. Whatever they do has gone wrong. But they didn't really have another chance, a good chance after that. Um, at halfway through the game, three nothing shots, twenty three thirteen Michigan. I thought Tobish was playing pretty well in the second period. I thought he was keeping them in. At Michigan, was still getting a lot of good looks at five on five. I mean, Ohio State towards the end of this period start to find their legs a little bit at five on five, but not not much. And Ohio, I mean, Tobish does make a few huge saves to keep them at yes. at three nothing. Yeah, he. You know, it, weird. Like he did have his bumbles, but um, he he also was the reason that it wasn't about six nothing right away. So, um, Ohio State gets their first power play, uh, a boarding call on Luke Hughes. Which was it boarding? I, I think it. I was. wrote it down as cross check. Was it cross check? Well, it was a cross check into the board. Let me look at what the box. I think says. it it was right along the board, so maybe it was a cross check, um, but. Kind of the same thing in that sense. Uh, it was just sort of funny. I, it I, is cross-check. Zook was saying near me, he's like, it's funny. He, Luke Hughes finally gets really physical, and like then he gets a penalty for it. And you're just like, eh, well. Um, and this was uh, not a great penalty kill. No, this was real bad. So I, I had Ohio State down basically dissecting Michigan on at least two to three passes that go between Michigan players. It's, it, I texted you... Why even play penalty kill? Just like, like count they, a goal and move you on. might have you might have gotten more time killed with five on zero and Portillo just dancing around, seeing how long he could take. <laughs> I mean, what's the point? 
<laughs> put four penalty killers out there and it goes tic-tac-toe in 10 seconds. They don't even touch the puck. Yeah, it was like 18 seconds or something. And the final Why one... Why bother? The final <laughs> one was post-to-post post at the bottom. And I think there was a Michigan defender located in between them in front of Portillo and it still gets through. Yeah, this. I mean, this is they've had some issues this year and I've been pretty annoyed by that. And this game was not one of the best showings there. Are you reliving that feeling annoyed right now? <laughs> you sound kind of annoyed. All right. Three to one. And then we get the next controversial play, which is Duke gets hit in the head and they review it. He go. You could kind of see it because he kind of is laying face down on the ice. You couldn't really tell right away if they found it. But later you see that the ref raises his hand and they immediately go to the box to review it. I remember looking at this. We were debating that up in the press box, too. And the consensus was basically that this is not a major that. And you texted me, I think you articulated it perfectly well in the sense that under the current rules, or what, I'm sorry, not under the current rules, what we've seen be called as majors, this is a major. But if you're trying to interpret what the rule says, it should not be. Is, do I have that right? Yeah. Um, this is one that I look at and I say, okay, under the way the rule is written, this shouldn't be a major. Yeah, there's very two. Li- is it two minutes? Would you would you say it's a two minute penalty or just maybe? There's very very little head contact going on here. I mean, maybe he grazes him, but Duke, I couldn't tell if he was diving. I think he was. I mean, there's a lot of Tampa Bay Lightning going on Gamesmanship. there, and it's very fitting that he's drafted by that yeah. club because that's that's what the Lightning are so good at is that you feel that the stick on a high stick and graze your your chin hair. And you, wow, you know, and you throw your head back as as hard as you can, right? You you know how to sell it, and I, I think there maybe was he a, maybe he read the packet that they yeah, sent. I him. think there was a bit of that going on there. So I had no issue with this not being a major. However, we've seen plenty this year where it's like, oh, you got a pinky on his on his head, like oh, you're done, like the sorry, uh, like the like the grazing of a quarterback's helmet yeah, as you're going yeah. by and in so, fifteen yards, yeah. So you get Michigan's. Second power play, and they turn it over kind of poorly, and Samuskevich takes a hooking call, so it's really no power play, and then Ohio State gets power play for like 20 seconds where they just pass the puck in their own end because they didn't really have anything on a quick breakout, and not a ton happened on the four-on-four, so in the end it just becomes more or less two or three minutes of nothing. Um, And then Michigan adds a really big play where Rutger is facing back towards his own end in the offensive zone, on the far side boards, he's skating up, and he sees a, a cutting Fantilli down the ice and makes a really nice pass, I think, across to hit him in stride going down the slot, and Fantilli just blisters one by Dobish uh, to give them a 4-1 to lead. I mean, obviously, you have a Fantilli shot, which we know is spectacular, but you also have a really nice awareness and a quick pass in stride from Rutger. Yeah, so Rutger... Isn't Brindley the one that makes the pass? I thought it was two. But, uh, uh, let me let me pull up the highlight. I thought it, I wrote down that Rucker is the one that forces the turnover, and then Brindley was that what it was? Pass. I let thought. Me, let me pull up the clip here. Uh, I thought that it was. Let's take a look. I thought that Rutger had the initial assist, or the what is it? Primary assist, right? Here we go. Yeah, McGordy has the yeah. Primary. You're, you're right about that. Yeah. Yep. Rucker forces the turnover. Brindley gets it, leaves it behind for for Rucker, and then the pass. I see. So Rucker does all the work. 
Yeah. No credit for Brentley. Um, <laughs> he gets a secondary assist. He gets the Kent Johnson assist, yeah. <laughs> as we like to call it last year. Uh, this one is another one that I think Dobish probably wants to have. Fantilli's a very good shooter, but... I mean, he's walking down the slot. Uh, he's pretty high. Okay. I mean, I mean, he's from... Yeah, I mean, it's it's again, it's the old good shot. Also, could have been a good save, sort of thing. Is it? Is I, this... I think so. This I think this one isn't as bad as the Hallam one in the third period. Yeah. But these are what I always call Jack Campbell goals, <laughs> where you sit there and you say, "Well, it's not a howler, and it's not a bad goal, and it's probably to a good shooter." But to beat a really good team in a huge game, you need a save at some point. Yeah. Like Campbell was the master have, of those. Would you have count? Would you count the Brindley goal in that category? Or I mean, because I thought, I mean, you, I thought it hit almost two posts and went in. No, the Brindley goal I thought was, I thought was a really, really good shot. Okay, this one it, it was a little because like you look at look at Dobish's body language when it goes in. He kind of just he's, like he puts his head down and like it looked like it beat him under the glove, like between the okay. the pad and the glove, or maybe it was five. It was tough to tell from my angle. It's also like that's the fourth goal, and he probably realizes that that's the game because you know they get one back, and if they get the next one, all of a sudden now you're you have a period to try to tie and maybe win the game. Now it's four to one, and you're getting you know late in the second, and I, it's know. that thing of like these aren't the goal. You know these goals we're talking about are not tap-ins where the defense immolates, yeah. right? Like, these are ones that he has a shot to save, and when yep. you're down 3-1, you need a save. So going into the second intermission, it's 4-1 to Michigan, and, I mean, you're feeling pretty good. Yep. I This is, I mean, if you... <laughs> Said you would have told me that Michigan was going to be in the spot. I wouldn't have said I wouldn't have been shocked, but I wrote um, down M still cooking five on five, pathetic PK NHL shooters. Nice. Okay. That's yeah. The summary. Well, we've we've talked about that. Uh, all right. So then the third period starts with a <laughs> penalty to Estapa, which was uh, as you texted me. Oh, this F was space <laughs> L space O. Yeah, this space was P. this was another lightning special. The, I, mean. I don't even think he touched him. Did he? I mean, like I was looking the, at first. I was like, oh man, that was a bad penalty. He tripped him and threw him around. And then I looked at the replay and I was like, well, wait a minute. Was there actually any contact there? Not really. So. Ohio State gets their third power play, and um, this is, you know, it wasn't as bad as the first one. I think this took about a minute for them to score, and it actually, there were some, it was a really nice play from Low Raya as he get, he catches a pass in the, in the just near the edge of the slot on the side. I think he goes skate to stick on the, on the play. And then shoots the puck wide, and and it sails and hits the end boards, sort of like last week, where the puck comes back out, and then somehow gets passed across the. Um, no, 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 that was that that was the that was the Wisconsin one. It hits the end boards, and it's grabbed it's by a short side. Yeah, is it is it Trailor? It's Trailor. Trailor, yeah. who grabs it, and, and yeah, it's had just, a had a nice little finish though. Like he wasn't. I think he kind of had to go around the post. It's it a wasn't. Joe, it's a Joe Lewis end board rebound, and then I wrote down snipe ish because it was a nice little. It's, a, it's like a weird angle, and it's a pretty good shot, but it's like just a strange play. But if he had someone checking him, it doesn't happen. Yeah, it's hard when uh, when the puck comes off the board. The puck comes off the board because I don't so. really put that on Portillo. No, it's just a goal that happens. Like, yeah, because like Edwards is close by. It's just like it takes a bounce right to him. Yeah, he can't quite close the gap yet. I mean, what it is, what it is. Yeah, 
And that makes them two of three, or I mean, really two of two, but two of three on the power play. And that's basically what held Ohio State in the game. And and that was pretty much the end of the penalties, I believe. I think, oh, Michigan does get a power play after that. But, you know, we talked about in Cleveland, there were, what, 13 power plays? I think Michigan was 0 of 7, and Ohio State was like 1 or 2 of 6 or something. And, you know, if you're going to get that kind of game, Michigan was going to be uh, in trouble because Ohio State's penalty kill top-notch, and their power play, Ohio State's power play is also decent, and Michigan has struggled on the penalty kill. So you get a special teams game, and all of a sudden, eh, it does kind of trends away from what Michigan wants. If you get a pretty clean game, and you got to play a lot of five-on-five, five, and Michigan was able to beat their press the way that they did, now it starts to look like Michigan has the advantage, and that's kind of where we're at. It's four to two at the beginning of the, th- or, you know, near the beginning of the third. Michigan gets their power play, and this is, I think, what... Um, the commenter was saying is I this one was a little bit better I I think that you know they got that three on one chance off of a off of a missed uh two on two the other way for Ohio State and Michigan comes in on three on one and they just kind of biff it but they had a good look for Rutger yep um they got say so if we also in further gamesmanship discussion there was a, a maybe it wasn't gamesmanship, it was just a bad call after that Duke hit remember they nullified the penalty like 10 seconds in, because they yeah, called Sam Miskevich for a yeah. hook. That was a horrible call, too. That was? Yeah. Okay. That one on reply was pretty So mad all about. three penalties for Ohio State were phantom? Yep. How about... I was very disappointed by that. Well, the did you think the Luke one was a cross-check? No, the Luke one was more... That, it was soft, but it was... It was halfway through the game. They hadn't given Ohio State a power play yet. So, so. That, they're going to get that one. Yeah. But the other two but were the other not. two, yeah. What is. about the power plays that Michigan... Got I it. thought those were pretty, pretty the Duke not major whatever, but yeah. I thought they were pretty legit. But okay, Rucker got a look there, and it, it got stuffed. But you, you know, you're this was a big moment. I mean, I someone uh, tweeted at me uh, through two periods, and mm-hmm. they were like, "Does this qualify as run and gun?" Because remember, my thing last week was like, "We have to see them win and not run and gun to believe they can do it." Yeah, and I was like, "No, nah, it's not really run and gun. They're just throttling a team, and yeah. they're playing really balanced." And I said, "But this third period is going to tell us a lot." Well, the third period was very different than the first two periods because... Well, the third period was interesting because it's running gun more than either of the first two periods. Oh, yeah. But and and Michigan plays kind of the, the 80s Oilers way to close out a game, which is that you don't turtle you or try to just grind it down. You're just like, well, we'll just keep getting A-plus chances and hopefully we'll score a few of them. Yes. And, and if we do, then the game's over. And it was pretty big that... Um, well, first, before we get to that, I think that right after Michigan's power play, uh, Portillo made his play of the game and, you know, one of the better plays of the year uh, because, so Tate Singleton is kind of off to his right and the puck is to his left. So he's out sort of facing the left side and Singleton is alone sort of to his right of the crease and the pass comes across like a diagonal and it's about to get to Singleton, but but Portillo, instead of just coming over and putting himself to make in front of him to make the save, jumps out at him and sort of like disrupts his stick and the puck and then eventually covers and, and, and freezes the puck. And he didn't even give the shot away. And I think it's a really nice play that he made, but his awareness to understand that there wasn't a guy there that was checking him and then to go be proactive and to go make the play before it actually happens is not something you always see from him, and I thought it was a, like really great awareness and then decision making. Yeah, and that you know shut down a really good chance for Ohio State. That was probably one of their better five on five looks, 
at up to this point. And then you get a two-on-one for Ohio State, and Portello makes a save, and then you get a scrum in front. And the note that I had on this was that from my angle, you could see that Adam Fantilli was laying down on the ice on his side like you'd lay on the couch to watch TV on the goal line, which is like, you know, here's going to be the second overall draft pick. Maybe, maybe in his last game at Yost is not losing this game and he's just going to put his entire body in front of anything so that the puck does not cross the goal line. And that's, you know, you see that from guys like Nolan Moyle, right? Like that's the kind of player and and you understand why he does it. Adam Vantilli doesn't have to do that. He's going to probably have a nice, long, high quality NHL career and he's laying there and it just kind of tells you kind of what kind of player he is, but who he wants to be. Yeah, I mean, you, you, if you care about winning, then you need to make some plays. And you remember the play in, in the Super Bowl when um, Cam Newton wouldn't go for the fumble? <laughs> it was like the opposite of that, sure. right? Like that's that's the Fantilli play. Is just but this is playoffs too, right? Like, yeah, we you know we can have discussions about do you want your star diving to block a shot well, in sure. the regular season, blah blah blah. But this is the playoffs now. Yeah, and so you do now. Yep. I mean, you're, if you're serious about winning, like you yep. said, that's that's how you play the game. And so then you talked about how it, the this third period's run and gun, and it totally is. But in those situations, when it's four to two, like you kind of have to get the first one yep. for either team because that tells you the story of the rest of the period. Because if Ohio State gets one and then Michigan answers, it's a little bit different than if Michigan scores first because. It really it takes it back to a three goal game, and this is the goal that you were referencing earlier for Jackson Hallam. And this is a typical playoff of faceoff, right? Like you see this relatively off, often, where you win a faceoff to a side, the guy on the boards swoops in behind the centerman, picks up the puck, and then shoots it. Um, you didn't like it from Dobish. I think that it surprised him. He wasn't really ready for it, didn't, wasn't really expecting the shot, but then it also looked to go through a little bit of traffic. So he probably didn't have the clearest view on it, but you think probably should have saved it. Again. Or should have been ready for it, I should say. Again, you need to save. And you're down 4-2. I mean, that goal, again, if we had a win probability graph, yeah. that goal swings at like 25-30% probably. Because 4-2, you can come back, yeah. right? Yeah. And 5-2, all of a sudden, it's a huge hill to climb. And... One thing that I had heard from some people that had done some scouting on Dobish is that his big weakness is puck tracking and picking it up. Yeah. And this is kind of that. Yeah. He he didn't see it early enough uh, to be in position to make the say. So I, I like this shot from from Hallam, too, because like that hasn't really been his goal-scoring forte. A lot of his stuff is transitional. I mean, some of it's passing, so he gets assists off it, but... Um, you know, we haven't really seen him be like a shooter per se. He had that really nice goal against Ohio State, I believe, on that Thursday night game in Columbus where he comes down the wing, turns the defenseman, goes across the crease, kind of fades, waits till Dobish is down and roofs it. That's a nice play. That's not a shot, so to speak. It's a finish, but it's not like a shot. So I this thought one, this, I was, think this, this one was I... a snapshot, wasn't it? I'm watching I would kind it right of count now. That. I would kind of count yeah, that as like a but snapshot. it goes under the glove. It goes under the glove between the pad. Like that's again one that Dobish would want, just because it's not like a but a, not a bad bar down spot. Missile. Like you got to get over the pad. No, I mean I, I, I like that up. shot from yeah. from Hallam. You have a slightly concealed shooting lane. You just put it on net and you know hope the goalie was a little slow to pick it up. And in this case, he was. Yep. So five to two, Michigan. Now, now you're feeling like. Really good. And then, you know, Luke has a couple. Yeah, I think he's been pretty good in his own zone for the most part over the last 
this half of the season. Obviously, there have been hiccups at, t- at times, but he had a couple of pretty bad defensive zone turnovers. Uh, Casey had one, and it did get a little bit interesting as Michigan kind of coughed it up in their own end. Um, this is part of the run and gun that you were talking about where everybody's just kind of going full tilt all the time, and, you know, that's going to happen. Um, but, you know, it, thankfully for Michigan, it didn't cost them. Halliday had a, a really nice look down the slot, but I think it went wide. Yeah, there there were chances at both ends. Dobish still made some really good saves, too, even after it was 5-2. But Michigan was a bit sloppy. Ohio State just couldn't get enough of their shots on net, was yep. something I wrote down. Um, and so they get in a situation with five minutes to go where they have to pull the goalie. And, and you know, they got some bad puck luck, too, because like the puck jumped low-rise stick when he had an open net. I mean, they had... You know, like I said earlier, where Halliday would have had a chance in the first period, but he didn't have a stick. I mean, there's just sort of some bounces went Michigan's way, and they and they took advantage. Now you said that Ohio State pulled the goalie; they did, and Cam Thiesing ripped a shot from the slot that I think hit a Michigan stick. I want to say it was Nazer. Um, it wasn't super clear, but it looked like he was the guy that had the stick where the puck changed direction and just goes in the net. I don't think there's really anything Portillo can do. That's sort of what happens when you have, you know, a six-on-five situation. There's a lot of bodies. There's a lot of limbs and sticks and things sticking around that, you know, you throw enough of those and one will bounce in. Yeah, a little bit of a lucky lucky bounce for Iowa State. So they pull the goalie with like four or under five to go and, you know, to get that situation and they get that goal. It's five to three. It doesn't probably change the outcome at this point. Now you get another one and all of a sudden then, you know, we're starting to get a little bit tighter, but um, then Michigan starts just shooting time after time at the open net and getting icing calls. Luke threw one and Moyle threw one. They couldn't get it until finally Keaton Pearson makes his second really nice play of the game where he has a really good controlled exit, finally gets the puck, sees some space and skates into it, gets out the blue line and then has a nice little pass up indirect pass up the boards around an Ohio State player to Adam Fantilli who picks it up and hits the open net from center ice yeah Keaton Pearson had a had a fabulous game here really both Pearson and uh, Hughes on that top pair both of them their final game at Yost and uh, they were both really really good a great send off and Fantilli gets the empty netter you know the thing about the strategy here with the repeated icings is that they were all off the draw yeah. So you're not really losing anything in doing an icing. It's not like you keep icing it after 20 more seconds yeah. of cycle shift, right? Like, no one moved. <laughs> right? You just win it back, so the defenseman no... clears it, and no one is skating around. No one's burning any energy. There's no energy lost. And yeah. they get another 40 seconds to stand around while the referee has to go down and pick it up and bring it back. So I, I don't hate that as a, as a strategy. Okay. Um, and then McGrory adds another one to make it a football score, which is always nice to beat Ohio State by another football score, 7-3. to three. And Portillo was going for the two-point conversion late in the game. You could see him winding up. He wanted to hit the empty net, too. Uh, kind of whiffed on it. Didn't really get a lot of it. It was knocked down. Um, you texted me, man, I would have loved to seen a Portillo goal there. <laughs> well, he came out, yeah, and he tried to – he looked like he was going to go for it. And <laughs> – and, I mean, he, he would be a guy that'd have a shot. He plays the puck a lot. <laughs> I'm just picturing what his celebration would be if he hit, if he scored a goal. I mean, that would be – would he do a lap? He might do a lap. Would he just skate off the ice and be like, Noah, you're, you're game. I'm out. He might. 
All right. Uh, this segment's run a little bit long, but that was a pretty big game, a pretty fun game, a lot to talk about. Um, so we will take a break and come back and finish up with segment two, looking around college hockey at different tournaments and teams Michigan's played, and look ahead to the Big Ten Championship. I can't believe I'm doing this. If you find yourself in the penalty box, you want a Michigan man arguing your case, call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul tonight. It's 248 and 924-9458. Or visit his old website at michiganlawgrad.com. something going on record about the different Big Ten Hockey Awards because uh, there were a couple of notable omissions. Well, there was also the Richter Award, too, that we should briefly touch on because Ryan Bischel was not a finalist for the Mike Richter Award for Goaltender of the Year. Is that national? Yes. He was, So how many people are are finalists? Three? There are three finalists. And he wasn't in them? Correct. (laughs) And he's a senior. Of a not, and he's not drafted. That's like who these people love for a bad team. The finalists were Devon Levi. Okay, well that's expected. Blake Pietala from Michigan Tech. Oh, and Yenev Parrots. Parrots, yeah, from QPEC. Well, he's the guy that was good last year. So right? I don't have an issue with Levi. He led the the country in save percentage. Yeah, I don't have a major issue with Pietala. I don't think. Let me look at Tech's metrics. Yeah, I mean, he faced 28 shots against per game. No issue with that. Here's the problem. Bischel versus Yaniv Peretz. This is pure 1960s awards voting brain, where the two things that count to us, the smart goaltender knowers, is goals against... <laughs> well, am I in on this? Is goals against average and wins. Oh, yeah. Because those are the two categories Bischel has... Peretz has Bischel beat in by a mile. But those are not categories anyone should care about for goaltending, because I mean, wh- this is in 1965. Well, we learned that a long time ago that save percentage is far superior than those stats. Well, and wins are like... Wins is like pitchers. Who cares? Yeah. That is totally irrelevant. And goals against average is so much about how many shots you face and the quality of the team in front of you. Mm-hmm. And Bischel has Parrott's beat by four points in save percentage, 931 and 927. You want to guess how many shots per game Yaniv Peretz faces? I'm guessing it's under 20. 
Quinnipiac allows 20.8 shots per game. So 20. Ryan Bischel faces 35 <laughs> shots per game. <laughs> because, and he know, has a better save percentage. <sighs> there is no argument for, for Parrots over him besides wins and goals against, which the hockey community long ago <laughs> realized was not a very important thing, but not the Richter voters. He has a better last name. I mean, it's plural of a bird, right? Yeah, wouldn't you he, rather he, say he has parrots? a more interesting name? We'll, we'll give him that. <laughs> but that was crazy. That was completely. Crazy. That's not in the. That is. That's not in the criteria for. So voting. we had to get that on the record. Yeah, Ryan Bischel, you are a Richter finalist to me. I mean, he's probably a Richter winner, right? He'd have an argument for sure. Him or Levi? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, the other Big Ten awards uh, we got what Player of the Year? We got Freshman of the Year. Let me pull these up real quick. Well. Player of the year in the Big Ten is the whole to-do, right? Is where So we don't have the winners. We have the finalists. Okay. So the finalists for player of the year are Luke Hughes, Ryan Bischel, and Matthew Nyes. So two of those, well, all three of them make sense. All three of them are good players. Yes. No question about that. The problem is, is that there is a player that is better than probably all three of them that is not even in the list. Yeah. So Adam Fantilli leads the country with 60 points. The country, not the Big Ten. Correct. The country. He's second in the country in goals and first in the conference in goals by a wide margin. Who has, Who's second in goals? Nice. With? 21. And Fantilli has like 20. 27. <laughs> okay. I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm a big fan of Matthew Nice. We'll talk about him in the Minnesota segment, but Fantilli is clearly a better player. Like, there's no question. Yeah. Nice is a very nice player. He's going to be a good NHL or a good complimentary NHL player, but Cooley drives that line to begin with. You think so? Yeah. And and Nice is just a killer around the net when his teammates set him up and that's the, you know, and he's good in transition all that stuff, but Fantilli drives his line. He's driving it Fantilli all year. He's driven it all drives year. Drives the team. Yeah. Like there's just but you know, that's classic Sophomore versus freshman type thing. So do you think same thing with same thing with Hughes over Fantilli? Do you think that uh, Nice said the right thing in saying I want to come back to Minnesota probably, win a national championship? Probably. So now we're like, oh, here are all your awards. Defe- He'll probably win the Hobie. Defensive Player of the Year: Hughes, Faber, and Lowry. I assume this just means Defenseman of the Year. That's yeah. fine. Whatever. Um, and those guys are all good. Yep. Goaltender of the Year: Close, Bischel, and Dobish in the Big Ten. Yes. Uh, it's special. Yeah. End of story. I mean, he'll win it. Yeah. Should be unanimous. Um, freshman of the year, Fantilli, Cooley, Snuggerud. That is an A-list group of players. It should be Fantilli for the reasons we've laid out, but that's nothing against Snuggerud, Cooley. They're really good, too. Well, I mean, Snuggerud had over 20 goals as a freshman, right? Uh, I, think he, I think he's their leading goal scorer. No, Nyes is with 21. Snuggerud's at 20. Okay. Well, yeah, he had 20. Yeah. So. And then coach of the year, Adam Nightingale, Bob Motzko, and Steve Rollick. So it should this be Nightingale going away, in my opinion. Yeah, or Rollick, right? It should be Nightingale going away. Just because of the sheer improvement that they've made from the last couple so years. So I don't like beating expectations when they were low expectations set by your own incompetence. Yeah. Right? Rollick's been to the Frozen Four before. I don't care he outperformed expectations. He's been the coach a while. If the expectations were low, it was because of him, right? Wow. That's... I don't love the whole who beats expectations thing for coach in general, because as we've talked about, it leads to very good coaches not winning the award and a lot of pretenders winning it. Is this like Holtman being coach of the year next year in the Big Ten? <laughs> yes, it would be that Ohio same State. principle. You can't, that yeah. can't happen. Yeah. If, if you beat expect Nightingale winning it, no problem. 
because it's the first year and the expectations were low because the previous coach <laughs> was not was a, very bad. Yeah, and uh, he came in and fixed things. But you can't you can't claim I beat expectations when you were the one who set the expectations <laughs> low. Maybe maybe he was right? playing the like, long game. <laughs> like we the expectations were low because Ohio State went from a perennial tourney contender to yeah. the worst team in the league during the COVID season. And that was under yeah. Rollick's watch. And last year they got better, but you know it's they've been they've been clawing back. And Nightingale, on the other hand, came into a team that was blasted into the Marianas Trench in the <laughs> Big Ten tournament last year. I mean, they that was the saddest two games we'd ever seen. Uh, and this year sad. they were very close to the tournament. I yeah. mean, that that's a lot of credit to him. So he should win that award, no question. And and Motzko, I think he won it last year. I think he's won it like twice. I mean, he's a really good coach. Yeah. But time, they also time have, to cap the but coach they, of the year. But they also him. have like really good players. So where sure. do you draw that line? I mean, that's like... But I'm not against the Motsuko winning because that's what we've talked about and typically doesn't win these awards. There's yeah. coaches that are really good. Yeah. But he did last year, so... Okay. No for him. Yeah. Okay, so that's that's our award segment. Um, we'll go through uh, Michigan's old friends, teams that have played because it won't take quite as long. Um, and then we'll get into the conference tournaments before the Minnesota preview. So first we have Lindenwood, whose season has come to a close. They... Have a, a big victory to announce. Okay. They are not 61st in pairwise. <laughs> they did not finish in the basement. Dartmouth did. <laughs> so congratulations to them. Or did they play? Did they play a game this week? I don't know. It doesn't matter. They played. Yes. They went. They had the 7-7 tie against Alaska Anchorage. Oh, right. The Friday ah, night tie. That was. I had completely forgotten about that one. I'm glad I remembered it. I could not have. Didn't want to do them wrong. And then they went to overtime on Saturday and lost 4-3. to three. So hey, they had an exciting weekend. Inaugural season, and you were not the worst. <laughs> you were not the worst. <laughs> That's a bar to cross. Uh, Lake State, unfortunately, their season still over. Uh, we get into BU, who beat Vermont in the quarterfinals, yep. I believe, yep. of the Hockey East tournament. It was not competitive. It was 7-3. to uh, The Catamounts did not come through. For Michigan. But they did in the basketball. Have you ever depended on a catamount? No. Maybe I'm just trying to say catamount. Do, do you know what a catamount is? Uh, I don't think so. It's like a cat, right? <laughs> so I've what seen if, their what logo. If, what if all cats were just short for catamounts? Like, what if, like, when you when you have your cat, your, your parents have cats, right? Uh, yes. What if they have catamounts, <laughs> but we've just been calling them cats? <laughs> I think we should do that. I think that we should try to insert that into our vocabulary for instead of saying, oh, look at that nice cat. Oh, there's a catamount. A catamount is a, it's just another word for a cougar. Oh, that's not as, I mean, I assume that they're not referring to like 50-year-old woman. Uh, correct. What if we called those people catamounts? <laughs> we should move on before this goes any further. One note, really quick. Yeah. My uncle, who lives in Iowa, had a bobcat on his deck this week. Oh, yeah. Like, looking through the window, trying to come into the house. Was it a catamount? <laughs> it was No, a catamount is a cougar. It's not a bobcat. Did you ask him if it was a catamount? <laughs> did it, did it, it was trying to get in? Yeah, like, it was, like, right up against the glass. Was it, was like, it cold or something? I don't know. And he was like, I hey... I didn't think those like came up on decks and stuff. Was your was your okay. uncle like sipping brandy by the fire and he's like, I I could use one. Will you get me a smoking jacket while you're at it? No, no. Okay, that's that's too bad. All right, so Western Michigan uh, played in the 
quarterfinals of the NCHC tournament. Two game, two out of three series. Yes. Well, basically, what what Michigan was yeah. in the Big Ten last weekend, and they got swept by Colorado College. Which, hey, uh, what? Give it up for Chris Mayotte. Hey, they they had lost eleven straight games in regulation or overtime before Oof. that. But if you want to build momentum going into the, will they beat Denver in the semifinals? Uh, probably not. Probably not. But so they could three to one on Friday. They have, um, a, they have a five percent chance, according to College Hockey News, of winning the NCHC tournament. Well, they're probably yeah. That would require two more wins, but three to one on Friday. Uh, Western was up one zero, but Colorado College scored three goals in a minute in the third period. So Western's probably going along, thinking, okay, this game is. I mean, okay, we still have to finish the game, but they're you know in good position as the game is ticking down all of a sudden within less than I think less than 60 seconds Colorado College scored three to steal basically the first game and then on Saturday it was three to two CC was up two to one and Western Michigan tied it with 10 minutes to go and Colorado College gets the winner in overtime um, so my question is you know could that hurt Michigan in RPI slash pairwise because that's a pretty big sting losing not just one game but two to a bad team in cc and you know you know michigan's sort of in a pairwise battle with bu they probably can't catch denver but uh maybe i'm not a big i don't know like the inner workings of pairwise so i can't say that uh it did hurt western michigan well yeah they tumbled from likely in that like two three line and like the eight nine spot down to the three four line so they could even end up as a four uh, they have a 38% chance of doing so. Wow. Oof. That is, that is a way to fall. Well, don't get swept at home by, by number 37 <laughs> in pairwise. <laughs> and finally, Harvard, uh, Michigan's last old friend, swept Princeton 6-1 to one on Friday. And do you know what the score was on Saturday? No. Also 6-1. to one. I was looking at it on Saturday and thinking, oh, I'm looking at it on Friday. So I scrolled up and it was the same score. They were... Both blowouts. Neither one was particularly close in any fashion, which is to be expected from Harvard and Princeton. So we can take a quick glance at other tournaments while we're there. We've talked about a couple of the teams. Um, but next weekend in the NCHC, you have Colorado College, like we said, playing Denver. You also have North Dakota playing St. Cloud State. Now, St. Cloud State is pretty solidly in the tournament as probably a two seed. Denver will most likely get the third one. And then North Dakota and CC both have to win out in order to make it. Is that correct? So St. Cloud can get up to the 5-6 spot if they win the NCHC tournament. So they've got something to play for. They could get a... a Could that drop Michigan to six? No. Okay. So they would... Uh, Well, Michigan has 2% for six, but a lot of stuff has to happen. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, so CC, I'm not really taking that seriously, but North Dakota is the team to watch in this tournament because they are a real bid-stealer chance. Not not a, not a, not likely yeah. by any means. And they have to win, they have to win it. They have to beat St. Cloud and then probably Denver. It's mm-hmm. not an easy path, but it's 14%. And they're like, what, 18th in pairwise, something like that, just off the bubble? Uh, yeah, so they, they can't get in as an at-large. Yeah. They're locked in. So but they, I mean, they, they're they're a good team. It's not like they're, like, 28th or something. Yeah, and they have been pretty good down the stretch. They uh, won, they beat St. Cloud and then lost in a shootout in a two-game series in February. They swept CC. They swept Omaha. 
They then took two out of three from Omaha in the tournament. Like, they've been pretty good as of late. And I was talking to somebody that has some advanced numbers, um, and basically that they're like a really good team, but they have horrible goaltending. Hmm. They have 886 team goal. Didn't they get DeRitter from yeah, Michigan State? Yeah, he's like one of the worst goalies in the country. Wow, I actually thought he was all right for yeah. Michigan State. I don't know what happened there, but that's a team that if they get any goaltending, they could be really, really good. Ugh. Pass on getting them as the four seed, by the way. All right, Hockey East, uh, this one, the semifinals will be, and finals will be this weekend in Boston. You have Providence against BU. BU, of course, is the team that Michigan is fighting with for the 4-5 line. Um, so we're cheering for Providence. We're cheering for Providence in this one. And then Mass Lowell against uh, the Monitor. I, I, I mean Merrimack. So Merrimack played BC uh, this past weekend in a double overtime. <laughs> we watched the end of this one. Yeah, 0-0 until finally Merrimack scored to move on. So that's... Uh, you know, you and, were, and, and that saved their turn, their season. You were disappointed because you're for Alaska. But in all things being equal... Well, one thing we'll talk about in a minute is that College Hockey News hoodwinked us. Yeah, well, okay. and, and the probability matrix was wrong. Okay. So, uh, but you... I mean, normally, if you were just watching a BC Merrimack game, wouldn't you be for Merrimack? Probably, yeah. yeah I would be too. But... Uh, going into this weekend, so Merrimack moved up to 14th as a result of that, but there's still a range of outcomes there. There's a lot of different things that could happen. They need to win the tournament, right? <sighs> they Probably. definitely need to beat Lowell. Okay. And then after that, it's a little bit uh, more questionable. So we'll see. Um, ECAC? The one thing I just want to say about this okay. is that this is the, I think, the most likely bids dealer. Even that, even that, or either that or. Northern Michigan, which we'll get to in a minute. Yeah. But like, if you're asking me which bid stealer is most, which conference is most likely, it's probably Hockey East, just because 50% of the possible teams remaining wow. are bid stealers. And this isn't a like stacked conference, right? Yeah. This isn't like there's two superpower teams. It's very feasible to see Lowell beat Merrimack. It's possible to see Providence beat BU. I mean, yeah. BU is a good team, but they're not a supernova, and Providence isn't bad. Like, they just, BU, I believe, just swept Providence a couple of weeks ago, but yeah. Sure, but like Providence and Mass Lowell are definitely better than Northern, for example. Yes. They're definitely better than CC. Like, yes. These are real teams that could definitely do it. <laughs> real teams. All right, then we'll move on to the ECAC, which is our favoritely named conference and tournament. Colgate, the Toothpasters, will play Quinnipiac, and Cornell gets Harvard. The Cornell-Harvard game should be interesting because I think Cornell is probably in. They're in, 99.7. And Harvard is clearly, they, they can move up to what, a two seed? Uh, They are a two they seed. They are a two seed. They can't move up to, they have 2% they, for one. It's just picking their, their rung. Could they be a three? No. Okay, so they're going to be a two and they're going to face whoever matches up better with them. Yeah, and, and this is a, a conference that's not going to have a bid stealer. Colgate's not winning this conference, most likely. Yeah, I, I it would be very tough to see them beat Quinnipiac and Cornell, Cornell or Harvard. Harvard yeah, uh, and all the other three teams are all in, so it doesn't. Yeah, they have four percent. That's less than CC has. Ye yes, yeah. Um, and then we get to the CCHA, which is what we talked about a little bit earlier. North on this is on Saturday night. Northern Michigan is at Minnesota State for the CCHA championship. Uh, I would. Assume that Michigan or Minnesota State is a pretty big favorite. Yeah, uh, let me pull up the KRATS rankings to see what their probability is of winning that. But do you remember the hijinks that happened last year in the CCHA championship game? 
uh, they had to review something and then pull the teams back on the ice. Yes, they said that, remember, the game-winning goal didn't actually go in. Yes. And they didn't notice it until after <laughs> they'd awarded the trophy and the teams had left. But but it was to Minnesota State, right? Correct. And, and then, then they, they, and then they did and end they up winning. And they went one. So in the end, I guess uh, some harm... No foul. So no foul, some harm. K-Ratch has Minnesota State as a 66% favorite to win this game. So not really as high as I thought. And given that uh, they're at home, right? Yeah. So let's bump that up to 70 or 75. So okay. they're definitely favored. And but Nor- Northern isn't great, right? They're, they're not, just hot. They're not Lake State. Yeah. You know, like they're, they're, they're bad, but they're not horrible. Yeah. And that's it's one hockey game. Who knows? I mean, let's look at their... Yeah, they beat Minnesota State in overtime in Mankato back in November. It can happen. All right. Instead of asking you about this, I'm going to ask you in the Atlantic tournament, what cities are Holy Cross and Canisius located in? Canisius and Buffalo. Yes. I know that. Um, Holy Cross is somewhere near Boston. Because that's where uh, Bill Simmons went to Holy Cross. Bill Simmons went to Holy Cross. Yeah, that like, features in his writing. Does especially it? Especially back in the old days. Huh. That is interesting. Uh, they are in Worcester. 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 Yeah. Got it. Uh, I had know nothing about either one of these teams. I'm cheering for Canisius. I'm for Canisius. My um, my grandfather's family, a lot of, some people in my grandfather's family went to Canisius. So. Um, yeah, this is, you know who's really happy? The Minnesota Golden Gophers. <laughs> because. Because <laughs> they don't have to play. Because RIT. An okay RIT. RIT was, was not a great team, but they were a team. Yeah. And, and this is. Now, do you? I mean, think, this is like when Niagara came to Yost last year. Do you like, think both of these teams should be able to go to the tournament and combine forces <laughs> to face Minnesota? Uh, it would be. It's an interesting idea. I don't <laughs> think them, it would. I don't think it would make them much better. <laughs> I mean, that's that's probably true. You could probably put them together and get like one AIC caliber team. AIC had. I mean, this tur- a couple of this players. tournament, the, the Atlantic Hockey one has just been blown wide open. Yeah, that's eh, kind of fun. I mean, it's not fun in terms... I mean, the, the thing about... The truth is... For, Holy Cross was 7th in the standings. <laughs> Niagara was 6th, and they're playing for the, the Co- title. Canisius was 6th? Oh, sorry. Canisius was 4th. Okay. Yeah, right. I, I misread that. Same thing. Yeah. Uh, Still, so, none of the top three seeds made it through. That is pretty much the end of the tournaments, aside from the Big Ten, which... So, we, so to pull it all together, just before we get into bracketology, okay. bid Steelers. Okay. North Dakota. Yes. Uh, Northern Michigan. Colorado College. No. Oh, sorry. I, How are they not a bid steal? We're, admit, we're omitting the teams with 5% or less chance. Okay. So the realistic ones, North okay. Dakota, Northern Michigan, and then either Providence or UMass Lowell. Those are the three, I think, that yes. you have to keep your eyes on. Because it's probably not happening in the ECAC, not happening in Atlantic Hockey because, duh, and not <sighs> well, happening in the Big Ten. Atlantic Hockey yep. is just given a bid steal yep. every year. So there there are three conferences to watch. Yes. And so you could have up to three. There probably won't be three, but I would assume there's one. There's one pretty much every year. And yeah. there, there could be two. That's what I think is the fair expectation going into this weekend. Depending on how good or bad the NCAA tournament games are that night, we should have... Maybe one of these finals on, if it's on ESPN Plus or something. Sure. Um, so, and uh, a couple of these tournaments play on Friday night. They're semifinals, so there's some content to watch the night before, too. 
So we, we are we are in the process of trying to put together another watch-along for Saturday. It has not been confirmed yet. Um, we will post more information. But if you're listening to this and you want to watch along with us, there is a, uh, a good chance, I would say. Pretty pretty decent chance, I would say, that, that it will happen. Uh, uh, Alex if will... If you would like it to happen, please uh, post on the board. And, hey, there you and go. And say we would love a watch-along. Start watch a watch-along. Yeah. Uh, we will probably do it, but any <laughs> any pushing and help will will, will count. Um, so now we will get into the final part of the segment, which is the Minnesota preview. No, we need to do bracketology real quick. We need to do bracketology really quick. I should have you do the notes. Okay, I'll just run through this real quick because we need to. No, correct- I mean the notes so that oh. I know what I'm reading here. We need you to keep telling me we're doing other things. We need to correct the record. Oh yes, they from last night. Well, it's not our fault. <laughs> Nothing is. Uh, college, <laughs> we blame everyone like else. Like I said, college hockey news was lying. <laughs> and the pairwise probability matrix was wrong. They corrected it today at 2.03 p.m. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like it how you have down to the minute. Well, it says right there, last updated. Yeah. And so when Brian said that the, the seeds are locked in at the one, they're not. <laughs> it looks like it. <laughs> he, was re- he was reading it right. It just was incorrect. Um, so in Minnesota, 80% for one. Quinnipiac, 75% for two. Those two are still locked into the one-two slots, uh, which I assume is Quinnipiac wins the ECAC and Minnesota loses to Michigan as the scenario that you would see those two flip. Hmm. Really? Um, yep. I, that's, I, it's hard for me to, bl- well, to so feel it's, like. It's 20%. Yeah, yeah, and, no, and their I, probabilities of winning those two tournaments are about 60% each, so you do the math that the two events both happen. That's I understand. About I just, I feel like that, that shouldn't. Those events taking place should not do that. But anyway. Denver pretty much locked into three. Mm-hmm. Um, Michigan, 80% for four, 17% for five. So those are the two options. Either and the one or the two in the fourth regional that comes up. Probably going to Manchester. Probably. For the reasons we talked about yeah. uh, last week, basically it it just... So here's the big thing. Penn State... 23% for 7, 69% for 8, 8% for 9. And that's their three options. And as we talked about, they have to go to Allentown. And Michigan, if they're the 4 or the 5, and, and given the way it sets up, Allentown's either going to be the 3rd or 4th regional up. And the you know the 2 seed that would go to the 4th regional up would be 5th in seed order, in theory, on paper, right? Yeah. 4-5. Penn State, if they're down at 7 or 8, they have to jump a ton of teams right to move up to be in that regional so if you can if they finish at seven or eight it just makes sense to move them up to six to go with three yeah versus to move them all the way up, up to, to five, five. Right. Um, so it just makes a lot of sense yep to do it that way so michigan is probably going to manchester which would be thursday and saturday games yeah i don't know the times but uh, uh 9 a.m <laughs> 9 a.m. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it past him. 9 a.m. Hawaii time, <laughs> maybe. Um, so BU is the team that could jump Michigan. They're at 17 percent chance for four. But if they lose, then Michigan's pretty much the one. If they they yep, lose yep. to Providence, yep. And uh, BU 45 percent for five, 31 percent for six. There's a bit of ambiguity going on. St. Cloud, I think, if they win the NCHC and a few things happen, could move up to five. So there's a chance that could be the four or five. But it's more likely to be BU or Harvard, um, which we talked about last week. So don't really need to rehash that. But we've seen both teams. We like Harvard out of those two as a matchup. Would prefer, yes. And then down on the teams we could see in the regional, uh, it's a lot more jumbled 
than yeah. we were led to believe last yesterday. We were told it was basically Minnesota State. Turns out it's probably not Minnesota State. Yeah. Well, it could be if if Michigan's a two. So here's here's Minnesota State, <laughs> right? 29% for 11, 30% for 12, 7% for 13, 14% for 14, 20% for 15. So it's this weird U-shaped distribution so they where could, they cannot be 13, but so they could be 11, 12, 14, or 15. They could finish 15th and miss the tournament if BU loses. Uh, yes. Yeah. So their chance. But like, if they if they beat if they beat Northern Michigan, they're probably go moving. They're probably finishing in one of the two. So what is if it? Eleventh or twelfth? If they beat Northern, they're they're fine. Yeah. So here's the. But they're but they would be one of the two higher slots. So then. you remember what we said? Minnesota State's chance of winning that game was about sixty six percent. Yeah. What's their chance of being fourteen or fifteen? Thirty four percent. So do the math. Yeah. If they lose that game, they're fourteen or fifteen. Yeah. And they could be bid steal stolen depending. Um. Right. So that's probably not Minnesota State unless Michigan's a two, and then it could be the five twelve. Otherwise, the thirteen candidates are as follows: thirty four percent Cornell, thirty one percent Western, fifteen huh. percent Alaska, mm. and ten percent Merrimack. So we have a twenty five percent chance of getting kind of what you want there. Yeah, and the twelve is twenty percent Tech. 14% Cornell, 33% Western, 30% Minnesota State, 2% Merrimack. So Michigan on that 4-5-ish fringe has a lot of outcomes potentially, yeah. as opposed to what was portrayed previously, which is that we were kind of locked in. It's anything but. So the first thing that you will do is you'll check pairwise on Saturday. After the Friday games. Well, now I don't have... trust uh, the, <laughs> the Matrix now. Yeah. Um, well... I guess they at least they got it right today. Yep. Right? So, okay. Are we on to the Big Ten semifinal and then yep. previewing Minnesota? Okay. So, the Big Ten semifinal was Michigan State-Minnesota. Um, as Michigan is pulling away and sealing the game against Ohio State, you kind of are starting to think about the Michigan State game and what kind of chance they had. Um, I was not hopeful. We saw what Minnesota did to them the first or the last couple games in Minneapolis, and then they get the opening goal, and you're like, well, maybe they face 89 shots and win one nothing. Uh, but that did not happen either, as Minnesota gets two goals before the end of the period. I believe at least one on the power play. They get a third, a fourth, and they keep adding, and um, it is to 5-1, which is about what you'd expect from this game, or what we expected in this game going in. Yeah, at the end of the day, you always knew Michigan was going to play Minnesota. I mean, yeah. Uh, Connor, on the way out when I was walking, Connor was like, see you back here next week? And I was like, uh, probably not, but <laughs> hopefully. And he laughed. You know, I I don't have any issue with this. Um, it's the same thing with the tournament discussion, uh, the, what was portrayed in the MGO podcast yesterday. Like, you got to be real teams. Yeah. If you want to be good and you want to, you know, accomplish things and have rings and hoist trophies. Like, I don't, I, I have no time for whining about your path. Well, this isn't whining. You're just rooting for sure. what you want. You're rooting for the best outcomes, but at the end of the day, you got to beat real teams. Well, and, the two, and if you want to hoist this trophy, Michigan needs to get it done. And the last, the only two times that they've done it have both been in Minneapolis in 16 sure. and in 22, where they did go and beat Minnesota. And I think that we think that Michigan 
matches up decently well. Now, that doesn't mean they'll win the game, and they may get blown out because hockey can be like that, and Minnesota's really, really good, and probably, all things considered, a little bit better than Michigan. But I, if Michigan wins on Saturday, this is not one of those shock the world boys moments. This is a, hey, you know what? Michigan's a really good team, and they beat another really good team, and that happens in hockey too. So we'll go through the numbers. We did it recently. Um, Minnesota's 26-8-1, which is, that's a pretty good year. And, you know, you add in one more victory for them this weekend or a couple of tournament wins, and all of a sudden you're pushing 30 games, and that's, that's, a, nice, that's a really nice year. 19-4-1 in maybe the best Big Ten ever and one of the best conferences that Michigan's been in in quite some time. That's impressive. It's definitely the best Big Ten that has existed uh, overall. Yeah, that's, I mean, but they're, that's a really, really good conference record there. First in pairwise, we talked about this. 16th in Corsi with their share at 53.5%. That's pretty good. 25% on the power play, very good. 83% penalty kill, also good. Uh, they have 14 drafted skaters, 7 in the first or second round. Uh, that's Oh, quite a bit of talent. We'll get into those specific guys in a minute, but um, they have four, only four skaters over 7, 0.75 points per game, which is the exact guys you'd think. Their top line of Nyes, Cooley, Snuggerud, and then Jackson Lacombe also in that range. And then pretty good goalie numbers for close 0.929 save percentage and 1.95 goals against. Um, the thought that we've had on those particular numbers Mostly, though, has been that they're attributed slightly more to Minnesota's defense than maybe to Close himself. Uh, yes, and the advanced numbers that we don't get access to, but we hear about from time to time, from time to time, from various you know sources in the nose, in the nose, are that Close does not grade out terribly favorably in those numbers, and that does not surprise me whatsoever, um, yeah. because we've seen him play Michigan yeah. and. He's an undersized goalie. He doesn't have NHL pedigree or interest, really. He's a guy that can be solved with NHL shooters, and Michigan has NHL shooters, and a lot of teams don't, so he doesn't get solved that much. But Michigan hasn't had any problems scoring goals on him. And not in Minneapolis. I mean, they faced him multiple times. They let him up multiple like times. a Christmas tree in the tournament game, game last, last year. year. Yeah, so. Well, and, and the, the series in Minneapolis last yeah, year they, as well. They have a great team. They're really well-structured. They control play, all that good stuff. But, uh, you know, they have a little bit of a, a little bit of a hole in, in net that can be exploited in the right circumstance, and Michigan can skate with these guys. So it's going to be a great matchup. There's a lot of great talent on the ice. Um, you know, Cooley was a very high pick. Snuggerud was a first-rounder. Uh, Matthew Nye obviously uh likely going to sign when the season is is up and, and play games down the stretch. So just from that side, and then you got Faber, who's probably going to sign and play games down the stretch for Minnesota. <laughs> the Wild, not the Gophers, but the... <laughs> so he won't be going very far. <laughs> no, he'll just be he'll be driving from Minneapolis to St. Paul. Maybe he'll take that. Maybe he'll take an Uber. Now, what's that? They have like a metro thing, right? Oh, do they? Like a subway? I've taken it. It's like a real car. In the air? It's like, like on a track. Like it's, like, it's like the L in Chicago. Yeah, I've taken okay. it. Um, is it nice? It was fine. <laughs> it was fine. <laughs> but anyway, that's besides the point. I mean, this, this is a team that was a lot like Michigan last year. They have a lot of guys who, as soon as the season's up, they're putting ink on the paper and they'll be playing NHL games. Yep. And that's what you're up against. And they, they've got a real good team. And uh, they're the favorites. But that allows you to play loose and allows you to play ready. And 
uh, without all those expectations, and Michigan's going to be hungry. You could really tell that they were excited about that game against Ohio State. They were really into it, and uh, I expect they'll be ready to go in this one. I think you and I would both sign up for having one more Michigan-Minnesota preview that we have to do this year. Wouldn't you say? Sure. Because that would mean it would I mean, it'd be in the Frozen Four, right? It would have to be. Yep. Yeah. All right, so that's Saturday night at 8 o'clock Eastern, I believe, on Big Ten Network. So on actual television, we're done with BTN minus, 8 o'clock Saturday night. Um, I would give Minnesota a slight favorite, maybe 55, 60% chance to win. They Um, are 61% There you go in K-Ratch, but you give them a home ice bump, 65, something like that. Yep. Um, but then, you know, Michigan's played them well there. They, they led in both games down the stretch with five minutes to go, blew both leads. Um, but you know what? Michigan didn't do that last weekend. So they will need to carry that over. Uh, if they get a lead, I think that, you know, it'd be nice to get the first goal, but you know, the last couple games or at least the last game that they played there, they came back, um, and tied it, took the lead. I just think it's going to should be a really good game. And that's why I think a watch along could be fun because you want those four for really good hockey games. I think if Michigan loses, and I think even if they you know lose by plural goals and are outplayed, I don't think it changes anything for Michigan going into the tournament. I mean, you know, it does maybe potentially for a seeding, but it doesn't make me think they can do less in the NC tournament. This is, this is the team that should win a national championship if the tournament was structured to actually help favorites. This is the best team in the country. The only team I think that has an argument is Denver, maybe, but they haven't been as complete wire-to-wire. So, uh, yeah, they're a great team, and Michigan has got the work cut out for them, but we've seen that they're very capable of doing that work, and it's it's a game that for the guys like uh, TJ Hughes, for example, this is a, a big game for him, maybe... I don't know who else would be a good fit here. Moyle, probably not, but he could get an AHL deal. Point is, a lot of scouts in the building. Yeah. A lot of draft people Guys watching. Guys don't have any, any UDFAs yet. that don't have contracts. These are the games you want to ball out. If you want an AHL deal, an ECHL deal, whatever it is. So, a lot on the line. Yep. Saturday night, 8 o'clock. Listening to Michigan Hockey Cast 5.20 for Alex Drain and David Nasternak. Comebacks next week where we will be giving you tourist advice for Manchester, New Hampshire. Unless it's Allentown, but probably Manchester. <laughs>